phlegm, the most dynamic bodily fluid. Just think of how many ways you have heard someone describe their sputum. Thin, thick, sticky, frothy, scant, copious, clear, white, yellow, green. The adjectives seem endless. But what about red? Perhaps the most dramatic adjective used to describe phlegm. Hemoptysis almost always makes residents, other healthcare providers, and patients uneasy and scared. Today, our patient has hemoptysis, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled The Crimson Cough, A Practical Approach to Hemoptysis. Time for our minute physiology. Hemoptysis refers to the expectoration of blood from the lower respiratory tract, which lies below the vocal cords. Its presentation can range from blood-streaked sputum to the presence of frank blood, known as gross hemoptysis. Hemoptysis can be a manifestation of a wide variety of diseases, which can range in severity from mild to life-threatening. The lungs receive their blood supply from two different sources. First, the pulmonary arterial circulation, which supplies the lung parenchyma. This consists of deoxygenated blood circulating through alveolar capillaries to become oxygenated. Hemoptysis most frequently occurs due to bleeding from this low-pressure system, resulting in bleeding that is slower, darker, and generally non-life-threatening. Second, the bronchial arterial circulation, which supplies the endobronchial tree. The bronchial arteries are part of our high-pressure systemic circulation, resulting in bleeding that is faster and bright red and accounts for 90% of life-threatening cases of hemoptysis. Now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. Hemoptysis can be divided into non-life-threatening and life-threatening hemoptysis. We'll first discuss an approach to non-life-threatening hemoptysis, with a focus on the broad differential. While the first step in the evaluation of a patient presenting with hemoptysis is to evaluate their hemodynamic stability, for this first half of the episode, we will assume that they are stable. The next step is to distinguish hemoptysis from hematemesis, as well as epistaxis, both of which are commonly mistaken for hemoptysis by patients and providers alike. Once you've clarified that the patient is in fact coughing up blood, we can think about the vast differential of hemoptysis by breaking it down into categories. Infectious, pulmonary, neoplastic, vasculitic or rheumatologic, vascular, traumatic, coagulopathies, and miscellaneous. The first are infectious causes of hemoptysis, which include bacterial or viral pneumonias, especially necrotizing pneumonias, commonly caused by Klebsiella, Staphylococcus, or Legionella, or lung abscesses. Other infectious causes of hemoptysis include mycobacteria, especially tuberculosis, fungi like aspergillosis or mycetomas, and parasites, which can cause severe hemoptysis in many parts of the world. Next, we consider pulmonary, both parenchymal and airway, causes of hemoptysis which include most commonly and importantly chronic bronchitis as well as bronchiectasis due to cystic fibrosis and non-cystic fibrosis diseases. This category also includes emphyseminous bullae and more rarely lymphangioleomyomatosis. Third, we consider neoplastic causes of hemoptysis, including both primary lung cancers, especially with endobronchial tumors, as well as pulmonary metastases from non-lung primary cancers. Next, there are many disorders that can cause diffuse alveolar hemorrhage, or DAH, which result in hemoptysis. While this is a complex subtopic, major categories of disorders that can cause DAH include systemic vasculitides, including but not limited to Bechet syndrome, cryoglobulinemia, granulomatosis with polyangiitis, Henoch-Schonlein purpura, and IgA nephropathy, as well as other rheumatologic diseases, including mixed connective tissue disease, anti-GBM disease, 
polymyositis, antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, systemic sclerosis, and lupus. There are several other causes of DAH, including certain medications that we'll discuss later on in this episode. Next, vascular causes of hemoptysis can include pulmonary emboli, arteriovenous malformations, including hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasias, or conditions that cause elevated pulmonary venous pressures, like left ventricular failure and mitral stenosis. Then, traumatic or iatrogenic causes of hemoptysis include traumas such as motor vehicle collisions, as well as complications from lung biopsies, medical devices, and lacerations from chest tubes and other procedures involving the lungs. Finally, it's important to consider coagulopathies in your differential for hemoptysis, including primary disorders such as hemophilia or von Willebrand disease, thrombocytopenias or platelet dysfunction, anticoagulant therapy, DIC, and liver failure. However, it is important to remember that it is uncommon to develop pulmonary hemorrhage due to coagulopathies alone, and rather, it is more likely that the coagulopathy predisposes the individual to bleeding from another structural cause outlined above. There are also a couple miscellaneous causes of hemoptysis, including drug-induced by common medications such as cytotoxic drugs, antithyroid medications, amiodarone and nitrofurantoin, as well as substances like cocaine, amphetamines, and vaping, foreign body aspiration, pulmonary endometriosis, and idiopathic causes. Whew, now that we've gone through the huge differential diagnosis of hemoptysis, let's review a directed history and physical exam to provide clues into the underlying etiology of your patient presenting with non-life-threatening hemoptysis. First, characterize the hemoptysis. Purulent or blood-streaked sputum, especially if accompanied by fevers, is more suggestive of an infectious cause. Massive expectoration of blood-tinged sputum is more suggestive of bronchiectasis, while pink, frothy sputum accompanied by heart failure symptoms is more suggestive of LV failure or mitral stenosis. Next, it's important to identify constitutional symptoms like weight loss and smoking history when considering a malignant source of the hemoptysis, as well as known risk factors and exposures for tuberculosis. Consider asking your patient about the manifestations of an underlying rheumatologic or vasculitic condition like rashes, joint pain, or hematuria. Finally, find out if your patient has undergone any recent invasive diagnostic procedures and do a thorough medication review to assess for any anticoagulants or other contributing medications. Once you've finished your history, perform a careful physical examination, focusing on the cardiorespiratory system and signs such as lymphadenopathy and rashes to inform your top differential diagnoses. Now that we've reviewed historical and physical examination clues that you can use to help determine the cause of non-life-threatening hemoptysis, let's review the typical investigations. You will want to order a CBC to check the hemoglobin and platelet count in order to assess the severity of blood loss. You will also want to order an INR and PTT to assess for any coagulopathy. The imaging of choice to diagnose the cause and localize the source of hemoptysis will vary depending on the past medical history and current presentation of your patient. A chest x-ray remains the initial test in the majority of cases. However, some malignancies and other lesions are more easily visualized with a CT scan of the chest. Another option is to pursue a bronchoscopy up front, which can be used to not only localize the site of the bleeding, but also to visualize the pathology, and allows for possible therapeutic interventions if necessary. In the correct clinical context, sputum samples can be sent for bacterial and fungal cultures, as well as AFB smears, to look for infectious etiologies. Additionally, one can consider a creatinine and urinalysis to assess for the possibility of vasculitis, and subsequent appropriate workup, such as setting off antibodies like ANCAs and anti-GBM, among others. It is important to note that it is not always necessary to pursue the cause of non-massive and transient hemoptysis. For example, younger, non-smokers often do not require investigations beyond a chest x-ray. 
as it is likely that many of them have hemoptysis secondary to acute bronchitis, which is expected to completely resolve. The priority is to look for serious underlying etiologies and to identify potential sources of life-threatening hemoptysis. As such, bronchoscopy is warranted in patients with a localizing abnormality on chest x-ray or a higher risk of malignancy, such as older adults or those with a smoking history, even if the chest x-ray is normal. Treatment for non-life-threatening hemoptysis addresses the underlying etiology, such as antimicrobials for an infectious cause or local or systemic treatment for a malignant cause. We will now move into the second part of this podcast episode, which is our approach to life-threatening hemoptysis. Massive hemoptysis is generally defined by the volume of expectorated blood, usually considered to be greater than 200 cc's in 24 hours. However, it is more important to focus on clinical signs, such as a patient's ability to protect their airway, impairment in gas exchange, and briskness of bleeding in guiding management. Therefore, life-threatening hemoptysis refers to any bleeding that results in significant airway compromise, abnormality in gas exchange, or hemodynamic instability. While we already discussed the broad differential of hemoptysis, the most common etiologies that cause life-threatening hemoptysis include bronchiectasis, malignancy, tuberculosis, and mesotomas. Now we will focus on the stability of our patient. A patient presenting with life-threatening hemoptysis often requires urgent resuscitation and treatment before attempting to elucidate the underlying cause. Assess their ABCs and GCS. What are their vitals? Pay specific attention to the respiratory rate and oxygen saturation relative to the amount of supplemental oxygen. Ensure the patient has secure, large-bore IV access and is in a monitored setting. Call for help early in a patient presenting with life-threatening hemoptysis. Your senior resident, respiratory therapy, and depending on the acuity and your training location, anesthesiology, ICU, and or respirology. First, assess airway and breathing concurrently. If your patient is maintaining their airway, provide supplemental oxygen as needed. If the site of bleeding is known, based on previous imaging or known pathology, position the patient in the lateral decubitus position with the bleeding side down to maintain ventilation of the good lung. If your patient is not maintaining their airway, they require urgent intubation with the largest endotracheal tube possible. Placement of an endobronchial blocker can isolate the bleeding segment. If this is not possible, then unilateral lung intubation can protect the non-bleeding lung. Be cautious with sedation as your patient will lose their ability to cough and expectorate blood, their primary mechanism of airway protection in these circumstances. Afterwards, assess their circulation and fluid resuscitate with IV fluids or blood products. Send off a type and cross early in presentation in anticipation of transfusion. Hold any anticoagulant medications and correct any coagulopathy. Nebulized, oral, or IV tranexamic acid are recommended as well. Once the patient is stabilized and resuscitated, you can then pursue further investigation and management options. One may consider doing a bronchoscopy for both diagnostic and therapeutic purposes. This can allow for the identification of the site of bleeding, diagnose diffuse alveolar hemorrhage, and provide control through ice saline lavage, application of topical vasoconstrictive agents, and placement of an endobronchial balloon tamponade if the bleeding can be localized to a specific segment or side. A CT chest is generally an important investigation to provide anatomic information around the location and cause of bleeding and guide further management. Where the bleeding can be localized radiographically and clinically, bronchial arterial embolization can be attempted by interventional radiology. Finally, thoracic surgery can be consulted as a last resort for consideration of resection of the affected lobe in cases of unilateral uncontrolled bleeding. It is important to remember that the biggest risk to patients with life-threatening hemoptysis is usually from the impairment of gas exchange due to blood in the alveoli, rather than the hemodynamic effects of blood loss. This means patients are more likely to die from asphyxiation rather than exsanguination. This underscores the importance of protecting the non-bleeding lung as early and aggressively as possible. 
It is also important to recognize that hemoptysis can be a terrifying experience for patients and their caregivers, and is sometimes not amenable to treatment depending on the underlying cause. In these cases, it is critical to anticipate and provide appropriate palliation. This includes ordering comfort-directed medications, such as sedating medications like midazolam as needed, positioning of your patient, using dark towels and blankets to camouflage blood loss, administering oxygen for comfort if tolerated, and providing psychological support to minimize the distress to patients and their caregivers. All right, time for our medicine minute. Evidence regarding conservative and medical treatment in patients with hemoptysis is lacking, other than addressing the underlying cause. Tranexamic acid, or TXA, is a commonly used antifibrinolytic agent that controls bleeding by stopping the conversion of plasminogen to plasmin. It is commonly used in patients with postpartum hemorrhage or in trauma patients. Mounting evidence supports its use in the management of patients with hemoptysis as well. A systematic review and meta-analysis of five studies with a total of 20,047 patients, published in 2021 by L. Chen et al., found that using TXA in patients with hemoptysis resulted in lower short-term mortality, shorter bleeding time, and less need for interventions such as artery embolization. It was not associated with adverse events. Therefore, it should be considered as an adjunct therapy to the strategies we discussed in today's episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled The Crimson Cough, A Practical Approach to Hemoptysis. This episode was written by Dr. Sasha Zarnke, internal medicine resident at Queen's University, and reviewed by Dr. Genevieve Digby, respirologist, and Dr. Laura Milne, general internist. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and is executively managed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. This episode was recorded by Leah Karianopoulos and produced by Kira Liblick. Music production by Lakshman Vasanthamoen. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.